first Sunday in January, which in Austin we get to celebrate as cedar season. Uh, and it hits some of us more than others, so I'm hoping I can, my voice will hold out through this. But if not, just know it's an awesome sermon. Uh, and just trust me on that. If you saw the video that we um, sent out this week about the series, you'll know the story. But I think it's a story that illustrates so well what we're trying to do over these eight weeks of this new rescued teaching series we're in. I want to say it just so that we're all on the same page. The story came from a time I was in a restaurant not too long ago, and a family came in, a mother and two daughters. And as parents are able to do and moms are able to do, the mother was totally prepared for this and had this amazing bag that things just like kept coming out of, like Mary Poppins, to keep the children entertained while they were waiting for the food to come. And the thing that seemed to work the best was uh, pieces of paper and crayons to do artwork, to do drawing. Now, the oldest of the girls ha was probably the rule follower, and she had like, taken her piece of paper and placed it squarely in front of her, and, and it was put at exactly the right angle, and then she took her box of crayons, and one at a time, she took them out of the box and laid them very carefully at the top of the paper in an exact row so that they were each in exactly the right place, and as she kept doing it, she kept looking at her younger sister sort of suspiciously. The younger sister was like just out of a, a high chair sort of age, and she was sort of moving around, and she seemed less concerned with the details of order. She just kind of like threw the crayons out, and, uh, and it was just a totally different way of doing stuff. And so the older sister's watching her kind of suspiciously. And finally, she, she decides it's time to start doing this masterpiece. She has something in her mind. She picks up one crayon. She's very precise with the one. She gets in starts just very studiously drawing this one line and starting this one color. And then when she's done, she places it back exactly where she got it. And she's eyeing up her younger sister all the time, who's just innocently watching. She's just kind of innocently kind of going, no, I'm just watching you. It's great art. Right? And so then the big sister gets a second piece and starts crayon and starts drawing and coloring that. And then a third crayon. And each time she's watching her sister, and the sister's just very innocent, just kind of watching. Until, as happens in restaurants and happens to children, they got distracted, and the older sister turned and looked away from her younger sister and the artwork. And at that moment, the little sister sprang. She sprang forward and grabbed one of the crayons and began drawing on the piece of paper that her older sister had been designing so carefully. And the older sister turned back around and just like couldn't breathe. It was just like, oh, oh, like, you know, she just ruined my masterpiece. I wonder if that feeling of the older sister might describe a little bit how you and I might feel as we are starting into a new year. We're starting into a new year. It means that we've got plans, we've got ideas, we've looked at the year behind us, we're thinking about the year ahead, we're crafting the year, we're making plans. Maybe we know what we're going to do spring break. Maybe we've got some travel plans coming up. We've got some goals to do at work. We've got some things we want to see differently in our family. We're arranging it. We've, we've got it all ordered. We've got the piece of paper in front of us. But even as we're arranging it, and even as things seem good, and even as the planning seems right, and our masterpiece makes sense in our head, there's this sneaking suspicion that something or someone is going to mess it up, maybe even ourselves, that something or someone's going to come and take and ruin what it is that we're doing, and we're just always having to play defense about where is this thing going to come in sideways. The reason this story is so important, in my view, as we start the series, was not about either of the two sisters, but it was actually what the mother then did. When she saw that her youngest daughter had sprang forward and was doing that, she jumped up and she kindly but, but, but firmly 
put our old younger daughter back in the chair and told her that that was not how we were going to uh, treat our older sister's artwork. And then she looked at her older daughter, who was kind of on the verge of tears, and said to her, I think we can still make something beautiful out of that. And then she picked up a crayon and began drawing herself on her daughter's piece of paper of a new kind of shape and design. And then the older daughter picked up a crayon and started talking to her mom about it, and she started drawing as well. And eventually, the little sister was allowed to get a crayon, and under very close close supervision, was able to start being a part. And the three of them drew. And by the time their food came, they had presented a masterpiece to the restaurant that looked nothing like what the older sister had started out drawing. But the mother was right. They had made something beautiful out of it. That's the goal of this series, is to understand that the mother in that situation exhibited a spark of the divine. That as you and I look into 2020, here's what I can promise you. There are things in all of our lives that are gonna mess up the plans that you have. There are gonna be unexpected things that come in that are gonna be breathtakingly beautiful and wonderful, and joyful, and you are not gonna want to miss it. And there are gonna be things that are gonna come in that are gonna be hard, and confusing, and maybe scary. Our God is not a God who is a puppet master with everything on strings, who's just controlling every detail of every event. Who our God is, is one that never leaves our side, and when things start coming in sideways that are unexpected, our God's gonna be whispering to each and every one of us, I still think we can make something beautiful out of this. And the question is, can you and I learn to journey with that God, listen to God, hear that God, trust in that God, follow that God, because if we can do that, you and I can be on the forefront of this new year with a sense of what we talk about in the cohorts of hopeful expectation of what the year is gonna bring to us, because we know the one with whom we are journeying. The way that we're going to engage in this and, and seek to be these kind of people of hope is going to be through one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament. We're going to be looking at the story of the exodus of the Hebrew people from Egypt and looking at uh, people like Moses and Aaron and Miriam and the people that, that are a part of whom God uses to rescue the people. And as we see this God who shows up in the messiness of their world and time and time again makes something beautiful out of dust... My hope is that we're gonna learn more and more how that same God is the God journeying with each of us this year and that we can have a posture of hope and excitement as we move into 2020, okay? Now, the text we're going to look at today to get us started, it's a long bit of scripture, okay? Uh, it's going to be sections from Exodus, both chapter 1 and chapter 2. So just buckle in for a second, uh, because we need to really get into the text to understand uh, this, the, this series. Here's what it says. It says, Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and that whole generation... But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramesses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. 
The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her attendants walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it, she saw the child. He was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Yes. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take the child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we walk in here, we would hear your gospel, your good news, and it would speak and, and lead us this day and this year and what an abundant, flourishing life truly looks like. We pray for this all in Christ's name. Amen. So there is a ton going on. It's a lot of scripture that we just read. And what we see here is that in the verse 6, the, ex, the writer of Exodus starts with explaining, before we get into the fact that the Hebrews were in slavery, here's how they got to Egypt. Some of you might know the story of Joseph and his coat of many colors. Well, in verse 6, the writer says Joseph died. If you remember, Joseph had this amazing story in the book of Genesis. He goes from someone who's sold by his brothers into slavery. His father thinks that he's dead. And as he goes to slavery and is in a prison in Egypt, God does all this miraculous work and gives him the ability to interpret dreams. He interprets a dream for Pharaoh and the, and the king of Egypt about a famine that is coming to Egypt. And he says, you better have someone prepare for the famine and get the nation ready for it. And on top of that, I think I'm your dude. I think I'm the guy to get, when you're in a, when you're in a prison in Egypt for the rest of your life, you've got nothing to lose but suggest it. It's like, maybe I'm the one to do it. And Pharaoh goes with it. And then, as Joseph's brothers and their families are in Canaan, and the famine gets to them, they journey down to Egypt seeking help, not knowing their brother is in charge of the whole process. And yet, Joseph doesn't seek revenge, but he brings about forgiveness and reconciliation, and his brothers and his father all move to Egypt and stay there. That's why they're there. Now, what it says is that while they were prosperous and while they were in a privileged position... Time passes, Joseph dies, his brothers die, and Pharaoh dies. And in some very chilling words, the writer says, a new king comes into power who did not know Joseph. He did not see one who had helped the people survive. He saw outsiders. He saw people who weren't real Egyptians. And what he did in that moment was he stoked the fears that he felt of we better oppress these people or something, they could come and take what's ours. 
And so what he does is, is enact a series of laws. The first thing he does is he oppresses them. The next thing that it says he does is he appoints taskmasters over them, and they have to do the work of the field we just read. They become slaves. And third, in this horrific thing at the end of chapter 1, he issues a decree that to stop the growth of the Hebrew population, every male infant should be drowned in the Nile River. What happens after that is where we read in chapter 2. And that's where the story starts getting more individualized and specific. What happens here is we see three unbelievable women of courage and faith that I want us to take some time to think about for a second. The first is Moses' mother, who we read about that when she knows this law that, 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 that all Hebrew male children should die, she then has a child with her husband. She has an older daughter, but we don't know, and we don't know how many children she has, but then she has an infant baby boy. And for three months, she defies the orders of the king. Now, we need to know the courage of that. Because if they had found that she was hiding an infant baby boy, they would have been the end of her life and of all of her family's life. But she courageously defies that order. Then at three months, she can't protect him anymore, and so she makes a basket. And you think about how gut-wrenching and horrible, and yet there's this idea of faith of rather than placing him and drowning him in the Nile River, she puts a basket there and sends him off trusting God with what God will do with this baby boy. And that brings us to the second woman. A woman of incredible courage, which is Pharaoh's daughter. We don't know any of their names. Isn't that interesting? But it's Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter shows unbelievable courage because she's just starting her day, guys. It's like a Thursday for her. Like she's just going down, getting ready for the day like you and I do at the beginning of the day. And all of a sudden there's a basket there and there's a Hebrew baby that she knows is supposed to die in this basket. And what she then does is defies the laws of her father and the Pharaoh and puts her life into jeopardy to protect this child and to raise him. And that brings us to the third young woman of courage, Moses' big sister, who was told, all I'm asking you to do, her mother says, is just go watch what happens. But when she sees the princess of Egypt come down, this older sister steps out and essentially says, I can help you cover up the crime. And Pharaoh's daughter says yes. Moses' own sister puts his, her life on the line to protect her brother. Now, there's a ton we could talk about in this, because, again, there's so much that's here, and a lot of it's legitimate, and you might be thinking about it as you leave. We could talk about what it means to be a people as we start this year that always have to be on our toes, that in our own lives, some version of a pharaoh will come into power who doesn't know Joseph. And what today is a blessing might tomorrow be a burden or a curse. And how do you and I live and respond in that? Because that can happen. You and I might look at the dangers of extreme nationalism, which when we read about what Pharaoh does here, it would be nice to say the world has graduated from these kinds of political tactics. But unfortunately, we have not. And we could ask a lot of questions about what the kingdom of God has to do in saying that, and that would be appropriate and right, and you might think about that. Where I want us to begin today is looking at these three women and specifically what they can offer to each of us at this time of year. Because if nothing else, and these three women exhibit so much, and so I'm not saying this is all that they do, but if what we see in these women that I think you and I could take heart in today is that these three women show us that change is possible. That we are not running on a treadmill of life. That we can change and the circumstances of the world can change and that we can be used to change the world around us. The courage of these women has shaped every single one of our lives. That wasn't their intent, 
but they are agents. The world is different. Nations were different because of their actions and their courage. Change is possible. And we're thinking about change. You're going to hear a lot about it in election year, and everybody's promising change, and everyone's saying the other people won't change, or it's the wrong change, and change is going to be on everyone's mind. But at this time of the year, it's on people's mind. Because statistically, even though we're going to laugh and be like, oh, I don't do that. Statistically, the vast majority of us in this room this year have already made New Year's resolutions. And statistically, the majority of us who have made them have already broken them. And if you're sitting there right now going, I haven't, I've kept mine, we'll see you next Sunday. <laughs> I know, this year you really mean it. No, no, this year I really mean it. These three women show us, however, that change can happen, but they show us what change looks like. Because the reason that we break our resolutions, and I'm not anti-New Year's resolutions. I think the world is so busy, and we move at such a pace that any time people pull back and try to evaluate and make goals of where to go, I think that's a great thing. I'm a huge fan of that. But what I think they exhibit for us is how we can make change. The problem with our New Year's resolutions, and these women don't do this, is that our New Year's resolutions are based on our initiative and our action. I'm gonna do this, this is gonna happen in my work, this is gonna happen in my life, this is gonna happen with my health. These are the things that I feel like I wanna do and that these are the goals I wanna accomplish, which depend on our willpower. And even when we do it, we become so bullheaded about it that we miss the things God's doing around us because this is the plan and what we're doing and we're sticking to it. What these women show us is what Craig Barnes says is different for people of faith. We've talked about this before. Craig Barnes says that one of the hallmarks that's different for people of faith is life is meant to be received rather than achieved. The problem with our New Year's resolutions is what we're going to achieve in our lives. Life is meant to be received rather than achieved. And what these women are doing is not starting. Pharaoh's daughter didn't wake up that day going, I think I'm going to adopt a Hebrew child today. I think I'm going to defy the laws of the land and put my life in danger. Feels like a Thursday, that's what I'm going to do. She goes down to the river starting her Thursday and sees a basket. And she responds to the thing that God is doing around her. The thing for people of faith as we begin this year is, what is God doing and how do you and I become more and more participants in what God's doing? Not how do we start things. God's already on the move. The question is, do you and I have an ability to move with God or not? So, this is what I invite you to think about today. There's different ways of doing this. Some of you may have seen on our Facebook page or on our website, there's a, a beginning of year, New Year examine. The examine is a spiritual practice that many of us have, have done. It's where we look at what has God been doing, in this case, the year before, and how do we get in touch and, and be a part of what God's doing in the new year. The examine would be a one way. All small groups here are gonna have a chance to engage in the examine in the weeks to come. I hope you'll do it. That's one great tool of not having New Year's resolutions. And if you're going, yeah, but I already made my resolutions. Well. Make new ones. These ones might actually work. Look at what God's doing in this. But even in this text, even if you don't look at the examine, we see some things that the women do here that you and I can begin thinking about in our own life. The first one we're going to bring up here on the board. Question all of us need to consider. You might, and we have some room in your order of service. You can write some notes if you want to because this might look different for each of you. But all of us should be asking the question, what do we need to release this year? Or maybe who do we need to release? Maybe in forgiveness. Maybe in a different kind of way, in our work, in our jobs. I was talking to someone recently who, um, who was looking at this and, and, and talking about what they wanted to do, and they were talking about it in terms of being a parent. Now, it's not the same circumstances that Moses' mom has to release him into the river, 
but they said that parenting is known as the long goodbye, and that you have to release your children in different kinds of ways and figure out what that looks like. Recently, Beth brought a um, quote to me. Uh, it came from a friend of hers when her friend last fall was dropping her oldest child off at college. First time as a parent she had done that. And this was the quote that she put on her Facebook page. It uses the imagery that we're talking about here in this, in this section. This is what she posted. Here is what we can learn from this as parents. There comes a time, many times actually, in the lives of our children where we have to put the basket in the water. We have to let go and trust the plan of God. The world is a scary place, a place where we fear our children could drown, but we remember that we have to let go so that God can draw them from the waters for his great purpose. He has called us to be their parents, but they were his first. Who or what do you need to be releasing? I talked to a a friend of mine the other day who spent all of 2019 completely stressed out because he had started a new business. And if you've started a new business or known someone who has, it can take over your entire life. And so when you talked to him last year, he was just full of stress and tension because this thing needs to work. And and, and he had so much invested in getting this company off the ground. And it's touch and go as the year went on. And he wasn't certain if they were going to make it. And then uh, I talked to him during the holidays and he sounded like a different person. He was like like relaxed and calm. He was asking about how I was doing, which he hasn't done in a really long time. Uh, you know, it's like just thinking of the world around you a little bit and everything else. And, and I said to him, like, man, you sound different. He goes, I feel different. And I said, that's awesome. Did like the year really, you guys just must have nailed it at the end of the year because the company's going so much better. He's like, no, it was a terrible end of the year. I was like, oh, okay. Well, you sound better. So maybe that's good. I was like, so what's changed? And he's like, you know what I realized is he said, I had just like everything in me was just caught up in stress about, about this company working. I was making my family uh, life a nightmare for the people around me. My friends could tell the stress and the tension in my life. And he said, I am, have no idea if this is going to work. We've only got six months of capital left, and I think it's 50-50 whether the company is going to make it or not. But in the end, I've just got to trust God with what this is. And if God wants to do this company, and if this company is supposed to get started, it will. And if not, God has something else for me. But what I'm releasing is that my entire sense of identity was tied up into whether this company made it or not, and I can't live that way anymore. And so I am going to release that identity, and I feel totally different, and the whole thing may collapse. Who or what do you need to be releasing? It's trusting that God is on the move, and there might be people or things or situations you need to let go of. As Tom Toole, when he spoke to us, said, pray with open hands. Let God take from you what God wants to take. The, third, the, the next thing, though, there's the question of what do you need to release, but as we end, there's also the question of what do you need to accept? We see that in, Moses, in Pharaoh's daughter and in Moses' big sister. These women who say yes to something that was unexpected, but they join in because they sense and feel the call of something that's beyond them. What or who do you need to accept this year? What is God stirring up that you need to step towards? Talked to someone recently who is in a situation that many of us can relate to. Came from a very close family. Parents were married for decades, and as they, her parents got older, her father uh, became a widower. Her mother got sick and passed away, and her dad went into a sense of deep grief and mourning, was in a retirement home, and they were really worried about him, and just this great sadness for years. Until recently, he called them and said that he had met someone new, and that he was hoping that when his children and grandchildren came for Thanksgiving, that they would meet this significant other. And this friend of mine said there was amazing the resentment that immediately popped up in her of that is not my family. 
That is not how we're spending Thanksgiving. That is not my mother. That is not the way that this is going to work. And she said she still felt all of that as she went to the gathering until she walked into where the dinner was supposed to be held at the retirement community. And as she walked in there, she said, I saw a lightness and a happiness in my dad that I had not seen in years. And what I realized was the Lord is doing something new in my dad's life. And I need to get on board with that. And it's going to feel different, and it might feel awkward that this is how Thanksgiving is going to work for some amount of time. But I need to step forward and accept the things that the Lord is already doing. Who or what do you need to accept that's going on in the world around us? These are not questions that give you definite answers, but they are questions worth considering and talking and praying about. Because, friends, when we look at this new year, change can happen. Transformation can happen. But it's not going to happen through your initiative. It will happen because we worship a God that when things start coming in sideways to our carefully laid plans, we have a God who is constantly whispering to us, we can make something beautiful out of this. And do we have the hope and ability to listen to that voice and to look forward to 2020 with a sense of hope and expectation, not because we're promised anything, but because we know the one with whom we will walk. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you would lead us and guide us in these questions, that you would help us to have our spiritual antenna up for how we can be people who respond to what you are doing and to get on board with your great work in this world and in our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to hear your voice and to respond to your call this day and this year, and that we might have great hope and expectation about the beautiful work that you will keep doing. We pray for this hope today to be ours, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, we read in the scriptures that this God is a God who's alive in the world. Our God is not a God of visions and a God of feelings. Our God is a God who came in the flesh as a person and sat with some friends, some imperfect people like me and you. But he was at work in their lives. And he said to them at this Passover meal in which they gathered, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take it. Eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, at the same meal, he took a cup. He said, this cup is a new covenant. It is sealed in my blood. It is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink of it, he said, do this also always in remembrance of me. Because friends, whenever we eat of this bread, and whenever we drink from this cup, we do something powerful. The scriptures say we proclaim something. When you eat of this today, you're proclaiming something. You're proclaiming the Lord's saving death until he comes again. And come again he shall to make all things new. This is our hope. And these are the gifts of God poured out for you and I, his people whom he loves. Know that you are welcome at this feast. And may you be filled with hope. Because Jesus is here. Amen? I want to invite the servers to come forward. And if you've never taken communion here before, we're going to have stations on both sides of the room. You'll, you'll come up through the center aisles. 
You'll go to one of the stations and you'll tear off a piece of bread and then dip it in the cup. You'll return to your seats along the outside aisles, along the walls, and I will be here closest to the table with some gluten-free bread, and if that is a better station for you, no matter where you are sitting, um, I invite you to come over here and to join me, and may you come in a spirit of worship this day. Know you're welcome in this place.